I don't know how many of you um, ever played a game as children, or maybe play it with your children, but a little game called Telephone. And a game where you whisper into somebody's ear, and it is to go around the circle, and the goal is to see what comes out at the end of the, the circle, what statement actually was made. And so it may start off something like this. Your mommy loves the kitten. And then it goes around the circle and the circle and it gets to the last person. We say, okay, what was the statement? My sister ate the kitten, you know, is the final outcome. And then we say, well, what was the original statement? The original statement was, mommy loves the kitten. And bringing it back to what it actually was. And this morning as we look at... Exodus 13, we want to look about passing it on, about taking God's truth and sending it from generation to generation, life to life, and really asking God that the truth is made clear, and that the ultimate outcome, if people are not bringing that truth clearly, that we clarify and say, no, this is what God really said. Let me tell you who he really is. Let me tell you what he's all about. Let me give testimony to what he's done in my life and the life of my people. Exodus chapter 13. And the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Israel has just been freed. They have been birthed a new nation. God has delivered them out of the oppression under the hand of Egypt for 400 years, and now they march out boldly in the strength of the Lord. They are a redeemed people. They are alive now in God as they march forth. And at the very beginning of their new freedom, God demands a high price. He says, I want from you All of your firstborn, your sons, your animals, the firstborn, everyone is to be consecrated to me, the firstborn male. That there is a giving over, a setting aside. They are to be sanctified, set apart for God. You are to give to me the firstborn male, as a walking, breathing reminder of God's faithfulness. You see, the firstborns were the most important. In the ancient world, they were extremely important as they are in many cultures today. They were the ones who were looked to as to be the next generation leading it out. I often call my mom and dad and and they pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, it's Rod. It's only your second born calling. <laughs> Not that you really care. Of course they care. But there is something about that firstborn, isn't there? You parents, you remember full well when that first child came into existence, that God blessed you with that child. And somehow that just penetrates our soul. We love all of our other children that God gives us. We thank God for them. But there's something about that firstborn where we go, ah. And if it's a son, we go, ah, our name, our heritage. And that name goes forth. And again, it pierces us in a way, and it was the same with the Israelites. 
They were the ones that were at the center. They were the future. They were the hope of the family. They were the ones that were looked to. They had special responsibilities and privileges, and they had the right of inheritance. It would go all to them. And the firstborn would actually show and represent that the whole family belonged to God. As the firstborn held on to God, he represented the family. All of the offspring stood for the entire family unit. Much like when, if you go to a football game, and the captains come out to the center of the field, and they stand for the whole team. We will make the choice on what the call will be. We will make the choice on which goal we will defend. As an ambassador goes out from us, that ambassador speaks for the United States of America, represents all of us. And so it was with the firstborn. The power and the influence and the symbol of the firstborn. And so you can understand for the Israelites, it was their hope of the future. It represented who we wanted to be. We, we look to you now to take over. During the Feast of the Harvest, which we'll study in Exodus 23, as the harvest came forth, the Israelites would bring forth the first and the very best of the harvest unto God to represent the whole harvest. God, thank you for what you've given us, but here it all belongs to you. And one of the things that we need to pass on from generation to generation is that you and I belong completely, wholly, fully to God. He is our creator, our maker. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know when you rise up. I know when you go out. I know before a word is on your mouth what you're about to say. I, I know exactly where you are and what you're doing. Why? Because I'm the one who created you. And for that reason alone, He is deserving of our reverence. He is deserving of our worship, of our praise towards Him, our obedience. Near the end of his life, Moses in Deuteronomy said, Is He not our Father? Is He not our Creator who made you And who formed you? And the answer to that is yes. He is. He is the one who knows your life to the full. He is the one who knows what's taking place in this world. And all of the evil and all of the craziness. He is the one who has his hand upon that. And we are his children by creation. Which gives him the right of our praise. And we belong to God because He is our salvation for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. Not only made us, but He saves us. And so we give all to Him. And God wanted the Israelites to acknowledge Him forever. And the Israelites were learning as they they took steps out of Egypt and God is calling them into obedience. And He's saying, here's the first thing again. Sanctify, set apart your firstborn. For us again, what does that look like 
in this generation? What does the firstborn symbolize? What does it represent? Again, for the Israelites, it was all of their future. It was all of their hope. And so for you and me, we have to ask that question, Lord, what is it that I need to hand over to you fully? Kathy was sharing about how she lost her husband and how she lost her job and her son whom she loved who who walked off and how God, it seems, was going, you know, Lord, what are you stripping away from me? All these things I placed my hope in. The end of the story for Kathy is that God blessed her with a beautiful husband, new husband. Blessed her with work. Blessed her with a a son who is finally starting to return to God. Because God continues to work in our lives that way. That's the testimony we pass on. And so for us going, Lord, what is it? What is my firstborn in my life that I am holding on to? I want to pass on and live out that I belong to you. Is that really our prayer? I mean, truly. Lord, empty all of me. Help me to, to just rid myself of me. That I might be filled with all of you. And Lord, help me through your Holy Spirit to recognize everything about me belongs to you. I just want to take a moment just for us to individually just ask God to do that in our lives. To surrender ourselves to him. And just say, God, here I am. So let's just take a minute to do that, would you? Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I just pray, <clears throat> Father, that you would forgive me, forgive us as a body who longs to, we long to serve you, and, uh, but we just keep holding on. We keep holding on to the talents that we have. We keep holding on to our success. Help us, Father, to hand over our firstborn, that we would set apart unto you, everything. Because it belongs to you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that our whole lives would be set apart unto you. Do your work, do your cleansing work in our lives, do your work through your spirit. Father, we give our lives to you. In your precious name. Amen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price, Paul reminds us in Corinthians 6. And that every day as we wake up and as we 
just begin the morning as we step out that door. Paul again in Romans. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, that you would offer your bodies as living sacrifices that would be holy, again, which means to be set apart. Lord, may our lives be holy and pleasing to you. This is indeed our spiritual act of worship. How do we worship God? We say, God, here I am, my whole being. It belongs to you. And as our lives are lived out that way, we give testimony to those who watch, to those who experience life with us, and we pass along the fact that, you know what? We belong to God. Our lives are for no other reason but to worship him and to give our lives so that his love would be again passed on from generation to generation so that life may go forth. And what we're going to see in this chapter is this call to remembrance through festival and through, through ritual to remember what God has done for us, to remember how he has worked in our lives, a call to embrace who we are as a people, a redeemed people, a call to again, pass on the hope that we have. And that's the next thing that we'll see in this chapter. That we would pass along the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's read on. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day that you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Abib you are leaving And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days, nothing with yeast, and it is to be seen among you nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. And on that day, tell your son, I do this, this is the testimony, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you a sign on your hand and a reminder on your foreheads that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand, And you must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. That we are to pass on the hope. There is these festivals that are taking place. And we saw in chapter 12 this this remembrance through Passover. And God celebrated and set up Passover and what it was supposed to look like. And also in the midst of that, the reminder and why we do it an ordinance and how to live. And here we're going to see in the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, again, the structure to it and what it's about and to bring it forth. And as your sons ask that you tell them, what is this festival that we celebrate? I love festival. I wish we had Jewish tradition a little more in our family life, in this church body. Because it's, it's a call to remember. It's because why we're a very forgetful people, aren't we? 
And again, in the midst of God's goodness, sometimes we get so complacent in just who we are spiritually. We get complacent in just daily life. And, and again, our Christianity is sometimes, again, just flat because we forget what God has done with us. Our testimony should be right on our lips, ready to go. And in full remembrance, as Peter reminds us, when someone asks you what is it the hope you have, you tell them what Christ did in your life. Do you have your testimony? Have you brought it to remembrance lately? I know if you're like me, we just forget to do that. And, and we just don't think a lot about, huh, look at all that God has done lately for me. Look how he brought me out. You know, I was just stuck in sin and he delivered me. I've been walking in Christ a long time. I've been trying to be obedient. And I kind of forgot that hole I was in. He's saying, I want you to bring this forth. And so these festivals, again, bring a remembrance of who we are and what God has been doing and how he delivers us. I want you to see something about the literary form of this passage. There's two times in this, in this passage of chapter 13. It's called, it's called a chiastic structure. And I don't want to get too scholastic on you, but I want to give you some idea that the thing that's fun about studying Scripture is, is the authors often used what's called chiasm. And what it means is there are, within a paragraph or a, a theme, an idea, there is sentences that mirror each other. As we will see, the statements A and A kind of mirror each other, B and B. And what it does is it brings to a center line, which really helps us to go, hey, the author's intent of this section was, was this. And so as you study Scripture, what makes it kind of fun is you go, ah, Look at, look at what the author is trying to point out here. There's all kinds of good truth that's going on, but there is an intent. And so in this little section that we look 3 through 10, we see the reminders you are to commemorate, to keep, A. B, you are to remember that you were brought out of Egypt. C, that you are to eat the unleavened bread. And, and D is the time, today and on the seventh day. But look at the center line of all this. I want you to observe that when he brings you to the sworn land of milk and honey, he is going to bring you out into this land of milk and honey. There is hope. There is life. Do you understand that the nation of Israel at this time was nowhere near the promised land? They were wandering through the desert, and they were going to be there for quite a while. And God is saying, I am giving you a hope. I am already preparing in advance for you all these celebrations that we're going to have in the promised land. And when you get there, and by the way, you're going to get there, we are going to celebrate what God has done in your life. And it is a hope that he is bringing forth. And here's the wonderful truth. God is a God who keeps his promises. Do you remember last week when I was talking about how the Israelites went to the Egyptians? And they said, please, would you give us uh, your gold? We would like to take it. And they did. And the scriptures say that they did because God had given them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. But even more than that, you know what else is true? God, who keeps his covenant. Genesis 15, with Abraham. Hey, Abraham. 400 years, your people are going to be in slavery. I am going to deliver them. 
And when I deliver them, I am going to give them the plunder of those who have enslaved them. I'm going to give them their riches and their gold. God is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. And so we live in that truth. God is saying this, I will deliver you. I will bring you into a promised land. Israel's future is certain, and so is ours, as we believe upon Jesus Christ. Yahweh is already laying out plans for a great celebration. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I'm planning for you. Plans not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what God is doing in our lives. You see, God right now in our very midst, in each of our individual lives, has a plan for us. You're not a mistake that you're here. And he has purpose for you. And he has life for you. And he's giving you deliverance. And he's giving you a sense. And we all need that, don't we? You know what? I know you and I, we, we thank God. Thank you, Lord, that you freed me. I was enslaved to sin. Thank you, God, that, that I have life in you. But we need more than just the redemption, don't we? Israel, as they're walking out of Egypt and looking ahead, all they see is sand. All they're feeling is heat. All they're looking at is how are we going to eat? How are we going to make it each day? And we need that hope for what's next. I'm giving you a promised land. For you and me, that is the kingdom of God. That is heaven. For you and me who have received Jesus Christ, that is living hope now. Jesus Christ has given hope today. We have the living God in our souls and we have life in him. And the festivals bring us and remind us of these wonderful things. And we know that God has given us more. I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly, to the full. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us birth into a living hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept for you in heaven. And so we say, thank you, God, for this new life. You have given me hope, and so we celebrate and you know, in the celebration of the unleavened bread, you have this, this wafer, this, this thin, crisp, hard piece of kind of rock, if you've ever bitten into it. And it has no smell, and it has a rough texture. And again, the Lord uses these feasts to remind the people. There is no, again, beautiful aroma to it. And it's brittle, and it's, it's just as, again, bitter as you taste it. Do you see the stark contrast? Do you see the, the physical thing that God is giving us as, as, as we look and as the people of Israel celebrated these things and as they're breaking this in their hands going, oh, the stark life, this, this, this hardness, this bitterness, and the, the sharp contrast that they are going to be delivered into a promised land. And you know what's there in the promised land? It's that fresh aroma of a new baked loaf of bread. Milk and honey. It's 
no longer this unleavened bread that has no smell and taste. And it's this beautiful aroma that God delivers us into. I want to bring you in. I want to give you a reminder of who I am. And here's what he says to the people. He says, people, Moses spoke forth, and he's speaking corporately to the body. Dear body, he's saying, you're going to come together and you're going to celebrate together the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Yeah, there is a wonderful hope, he says to the fathers, as your children ask you, you tell them your testimony. You tell them the hope you have. But there's also a corporate part of that. And so the corporate part is that we gather together. You know what? Last Wednesday, we had this beautiful time in the Lord together. Many of you were there. And we gathered to pray corporately. And we we gathered to seek God's heart out for our lives and for us as a church. And we prayed for each other and for the needs of this body. And we we prayed for the the future of this church. And we, we repented before God saying, God, forgive us for walking away from you. Forgive us for the way that we seem to to sometimes just nitpick at each other and and crush each other with our words. Forgive us, Father, for not being obedient to you. And we ask God for that. And we, we, we beg God for life of this church. God, we want to follow you. We want to live for you. And, and it was a wonderful, beautiful time where hands were laid on the leaders of the church and it, it just really blessed my soul as a leader here that I was able to be part of with you what God has for this church. And as a shepherd, we just, again, I just want to say thank you. I really kind of broke down first service. We lost about 10 minutes in tears because it really blessed my soul. But really, thank you for laying hands upon us. We long with you to go, God, what do you want from us? We want to be obedient children to you. And you've placed some of us in this position of leadership and we're really seeking your heart out. But you know what the best part was for me? Was that we lived in the hope of what God has for this church. And we thank God for the work that he's going to do that we don't even know that he's going to do. And yep, we're going through a lot of transition here, aren't we? We just are. And even though that, man, it pains me because a lot of these guys, again, are my dear friends. And at the same time going, God has his hand upon us. God is moving in our midst. And as we're seeking him, God is moving some men in a different direction and he's moving some of us in this direction that we're going. That's okay. But we have a hope. And the hope is that God radically loves this church, loves you and me. And we're going to live in obedience to him. And I'm just telling you as one of the elders here, man, we are going to live in obedience to Christ. We are earnestly seeking out his heart. We don't just sit here on Monday nights and go, Let's just make up something for the church. We are on our knees and we're going, God, give us your desire for this body. And with you as saints going, we want to hear from you saints. You know, that whole Wednesday night deal, that was all you guys. That was Deb Crumb and others coming and saying, we would just love to pray. Can we do this? What would this look like? And then it came, just people surrounded that. And so the equipping of the saints to do the ministry is exactly what happened. 
had nothing to do with the elders going, this is what we need to do. It had to be God's spirit working in your midst. And he led us. And through that evening, a wonderful hope for us. And I hope we can live in that. He gives us this. And he wants us to have this truth and this life. And then he goes on. And after these things, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised an oath to you and your forefathers, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock give and belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck and redeem every firstborn among your sons. And in the days to come when your sons ask you, and they will, what does this mean? Say to them, with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. And this is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb, and I redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be a sign to you on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. God is wanting us to give. And here again in this site, is, there is a, a center line. And the center line is when your son asks, and again, your sons will, your children will, give them this testimony. Here's what God did with a mighty hand. And what he's saying to us is, as children ask and as people look, that we bring forth the testimony of God and all that he is doing. This is what the author is getting at. I want you to move this direction because people are going to go, what is it all about? And this Passover meal, I want you to show the picture of this young Jewish man who was praying fervently to God. And, and Orthodox Jews keep this. And they say, the word of God, we want it in the phylactery on our head. There's inside that little box is scripture. And they place it on their head as a reminder. And they take leather straps around their arms and, and they place scripture wrapped around their arms. And you know what they are? They are fervent. And they are seeking after God. Many of them don't know Jesus yet. But guess what? There are many who do. But they seek after God earnestly and they take that literally. Let's put it on our heads and on our hands, our arms, so that we might remember. What Christ is saying through these celebrations is that through the Passover, I want you to remember. And as you remember what God has done for you, that you are to bring forth that truth, that God brought us out with a strong hand and that your children would know. And here's one thing you guys can't miss. It's the parents. Parents, you are the ones who are to teach your children in this way. You know what? We thank God, don't we, for our children's ministry? We thank God for this wonderful school, Coal Valley Christian, who instills and who, who brings God's good life into your children's life. But let us never make the leap that the responsibility and the burden is upon them. They come alongside to bear the burden with us, to bear the life with us, and they come to help us. But God is asking us, and dads, you need to listen to this. Dads, we are called to lead our families. And we are called to bring truth into our home. 
And we are called to have with our children this life in Christ that we lead. And we beg God for that and to teach our children how to live. And you know what? I really want you to hear this because I, I just, as a parent of three boys, I just go, Lord, help me know how to do this. We don't, the Ritchie family doesn't have a set-aside time like from 7 to 8 every night. This is when we sit down and do our Bible study and we pray the certain prayer. You know, it's hard. And, and you, like me, man, our lives get so full, don't they? And more full than we ever wanted them to be. And we don't, again, you know, some of you have a real neat schedule and, and that's maybe how you function. And thank God for that. I haven't gotten to that place yet. And, and I'm going, Lord, you know, show me how to raise my children up, along with my beautiful bride as, as we together go, what does it look like to bring this truth? But here's the one thing I do know, is that God continues to convict me as a dad that, Rod, you need to bring truth into your family from generation to generation. You have to pass along what God has done in your life. Hey, guess what, Rod? You're a pastor's kid too, just like your kids, so you can share what it's like to be a pastor's kid. And share how it was a challenge and share how I understand. And yet God still works with us, pastors, kids even. And give that life to our children. And that we bring that in. And corporately again, corporately, we come alongside of parents. And love children in our children's ministry. And, and minister at our school. And bring in truth. So that there may not be at the end of the circle some statement that's against God or isn't the truth about God. But the truth about God is brought forth. And for me, it's, I just look for teachable moments. I look for times when maybe it's a hard day at school and I go, well, son, how did you respond? And here's what God would have you do. And that's how I try to live out life with my kids. But always trying to go, Lord, if you want me to give more, tell me what it is. And so we do that together as a family but parents, it's upon us. Teach your children that they might have life. And so again, this, this line is that you re, remind the, student, the children of the strong hand, you were redeemed. And for each is a redemption. And what would happen is, is that there would be a redemption for children and there would be a redemption for donkeys. Donkeys were to be pack animals, and so there was kind of a special case for them. But even the firstborn donkey had to be redeemed. And it was either you break its neck, and so it's a sacrifice, or you take a lamb, and you redeem a lamb through the redemption of the lamb for the donkey. And then, you know what's interesting? The statement right after the donkeys is, and for your sons, this is what you do. And he really does have us in that same boat. Donkeys were unclean. There needed to be redemption. We are an unclean people without the blood of Christ. And we too need redemption. And we'll see in the law that it came down to you would go and you would bring forth your children and dedicate them unto the Lord. And for a certain amount of shekels, you would pay the price. And that's why we see Mary and Joseph coming in and dedicating. And for a certain amount of shekels, here, my son is to the Lord. And obviously with Jesus, it was dedication to the Lord his whole life, to the death on the cross. But there is redemption. And what he's getting at in this passage is, remind your children about the price that was paid 
Remind the generations about the cost of who I am and what I did for you. And that we would pass along that we belong to God. We truly do. That we would pass along that because of that redemption we have hope. And that we would pass along from generation to generation this wonderful living hope in Jesus Christ that we have. And so truly, body, may we pass it on. May we offer life from generation to generation. Amen?